If you remember last week, I was uh, talking a lot about uh, love and the need for us to actually love God. I tried very hard through Ezra chapter 3 to build a kind of a context for what we're going to be talking about this morning in Nehemiah chapter 3 by hopefully giving us an idea of how important it is that we love God. And, and I, I admit, totally, when it comes to love, we can't turn that on and off. I, I don't know if you've noticed that. Uh, I can't suddenly decide to love somebody. I can't suddenly decide not to love someone. If no matter how hard I work at it, if someone doesn't feel a certain way about me, I can't make them do that. The only way that love comes into being is if, is if God gives it to us. And that's pretty much what I was talking about last week. You see, we need to love God. We need to have our heart focused on God. But as we're going to find out today, that was a context thing. I need you to remember that. I need you to have that in your heart because love is not all we need. All apologies to the Beatles. And uh, I know that that's, that sounds a little controversial, especially in the world we live in where we talk about love all the time. But I'll, I'll just allow me to explain a bit, a bit here. It's also important that we trust God. It's not just enough that we have warm, fuzzy feelings about God or very powerful, loving feelings towards God. It's really important that we trust him. It's really, because it's, it's possible in fact, in a lot of cases, it's even likely that you can love someone without trusting them. You can say they're very valuable to you, that you want to spend time with them, but you recognize that in some cases they do things that you wouldn't like. That never, well, that you wouldn't like, and that might even be bad for you. And while God does things that we might not like, he never does things that are bad for us, ever. It's important that we trust God. It's important that we just, we don't just have good feelings, but that we also have faith. You see, this loving trust of God, and I use both of those words very carefully. I wanted to focus very, very strongly last week that we would need to love God. I want to focus really hard this week that we need to trust him. Because that's what biblical faith is. If you have one of these things missing, I, I hate to break it to you, you don't have a biblical understanding of faith. You don't have what God is talking about when he says, trust in the Lord. You need, when he says, have faith, it has to be more than just uh, an intellectual assent to, his good, to how good he is. It has to, you have to have love. You have to have a desire to be with them, but also it can't just be the positive feelings. You have to actually trust him with everything. Because this biblical faith powers the lives we live. 
as Christians and as the people of God, we can't really live the life that God calls us to unless we have this kind of faith. And we're going to see that in Nehemiah chapter 3 here. Biblical faith, the faith that I'm talking about here, is not just some kind of intellectual assent that you can imagine that you have and then sit down and do nothing about it. It's not the kind of faith that, you know, you can write out on a piece of paper and then sign at the bottom and say, then now I have the biblical faith. It's a faith that actually moves you. But don't take my word for it. This is James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17. What good is it, brothers, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith, or in some translations, can such a faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, this is not to say that, you know, uh, you need to add works to be able to be saved and, you know, faith plus works is what saves you. What it means is if you don't have the kind of faith that's going to impel you to act in ways that God would have us act, you don't have the kind of faith that saves. You're in deep trouble here if you don't have the kind of faith that's going to change you, to change the way you live, that's not faith. That's not the biblical view of faith. It's important that we have faith in what God does. And it's important that we have trust in God. And we can see this uh, developing in the in the passage we have uh, ahead of us in Nehemiah. And I, uh, again, I had the, co the context of love. I just want to add one more piece of context. This is from Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 to 20. Then I, meaning Nehemiah, said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Okay, bad situation. Terrible situation. You see how the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Okay, so there's a call. And here's what powers the call. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good. So he reviews what God has done. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the, uh, against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper. So again, Nehemiah has a strong faith. It's the faith that's actually moving him forward in the face of opposition. It's the faith that's moving him forward in the face of difficulty, in the face of the derision that they're having. The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we, are his servants, will arise and build. 
but you have no portion or right in Jerusalem or claim in Jerusalem. Notice what I want you to notice from these verses here is that what is powering what comes in Nehemiah chapter 3 is a faith in God, in what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. He is trusting who God is. It's not just that he loves God, though he does. As we talked about in Ezra, the people of Israel really do love God. They worship God as people who love God. But it's not just that. They trust that God is working. They trust that God has worked in the past, he is working now, and he will work in the future. They see who God is, they trust him, and so they act. Love plus trust is the faith that we're talking about. So what do the people do when they see the faith of God, when they see these things working? It's a pretty simple point. They build. They see God working. They know that God is calling them to do something, and so they go ahead and build. Just uh, verses 1 and 2 of Nehemiah chapter 3. By the way, if you've read Nehemiah chapter 3 before this, I'm sure you thought it was very boring. Hopefully I'll show you the difference. But anyway... Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brother, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. So, sounds pretty dull. They built. They went out and they actually built. And just in case, you know, you think this is something very high and mighty and amazing and, you know, they, they, they you know, had... Uh, had glory shining, the Shekinah glory shining around them as they did it. It just says they built the sheep gate. Now, and they set its doors. That's pretty regular. Have you ever hung a door? It's not something you really write on Facebook. I hung a door today. Well, some people would, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it. It's not something that you write to other people to say, I really hung, I, I hung a door. It's like, you know, yeah, and I clean my bathroom. Like, it's not a glamorous thing. Yet, it's clear that that's what they did. And it's, it's not like something amazing, you know, like the, I, I built and consecrated the amazing gate, the big gate, the great gate. It's the sheep gate. It gets worse, by the way. Somebody had to build and have fixed the dung gate. It's, it's in there. <laughs> And next to them, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. In fact, the verse goes on like this, 32 verses of talking about what people built and where. Sounds really dull, doesn't it? But it's important to note that when you, when you were looking at this, there's a couple of things that they don't do. And uh, this is just going me dealing with a few of my own personal pet peeves. They don't suddenly speak faith over the walls and go home. They don't do the whole Joel Osteen thing of, you know, like, we're going to change reality by speaking over the walls and say, you know, here's, here's the walls, be built. No, they go and build them. They go and hang the gates. They do the doors. They don't just use faith as a kind of a magic word that they can avoid everything else that goes after. They do the work. They actually go ahead and do it. It's, it's like, at, I don't know if you've noticed this, churches don't run on their own. 
There's an awful lot of moving parts that keep things going here, and not all of them are amazing. I, I find it interesting that a lot of people uh, have to work on different things to keep this place running. There is somebody who actually comes in here every week and cleans these carpets and cleans the changes the changes the garbage and makes sure that everything is in the bathroom. There is somebody who makes sure that that that, that the walkway there is cleared so people can get in. If the septic tank starts to bubble up in the parking lot, there are people who will take their day off, come here to make sure that that's fixed. There is work to be done. There's basic work to be done. We don't just, you know, speak faith over the whole thing and imagine that everything happens, happens without any trouble. Stuff has to be done. So they don't just speak faith and go home. They don't just hear of God's provision of what God has done for them and what God is doing for them and then do nothing. Unfortunately, as we'll talk about later, I think this is something that we Christians do a lot. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard has this famous parable that people talk about. It's called the Duck Church. Don't know if you've heard it. I'll say it anyway, whether you've heard it or not. Imagine a world where everybody's ducks. You know, there's a duck built, there's a duck store, there's duck buildings, there's duck shopping malls. We drive duck cars around. And we all come to the duck church. And we're all ducks. And I stand up here, you know, because the elders have been kind to me, and they, they say, Steve, you should, you should read from the book of ducks. And I read from God's revelation to the ducks. And in the re God's revelation to the ducks, it says, ducks, you have wings. With wings, you can fly. And the ducks go, amen, brother, amen, hallelujah, we have wings, and with wings, we can fly. And we've been, and, I'll, and I say from the book of ducks, we've been too long in the, kept on the earth, uh, just waddling everywhere. When we can fly, ducks, we have wings, we can fly. And you say, amen, amen. And then we all waddle home. So often we as Christians are like that. Uh, I'll be talking a little bit later about how we know that God has been providing for us, how we know that God has done great things for us, how even as we live right now that we know God is working, not just here in Calvary Baptist, but throughout St. John's, not just throughout St. John's, but across our country and around our world, we know that God is working. And yet so often... We hear that we have the wings of God's spirit and we waddle everywhere. That's not what the people of ancient Jerusalem did. And, and, and this is another one that I, again, dealing with my own pet peeves, I apologize. This is, good, this is good therapy for me and it's much cheaper than actually paying a therapist. They don't write treatises about how they can build walls. I mean, I'm sure they planned out their walls. I'm sure they figured out, you know, here's where we need to put the, put the gates and stuff. But they don't spend all their time worrying about how the walls could be built, theoretically, if we were to build a wall. They go build walls. 
So often as, as believers and so often as Christians, we write treatises about how we can say, for example, make war on our sin. We read the Bible, we'll ve- read passages about this stuff, and we'll say, you know, theoretically, God gives us the power to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's in there. It's, that's a direct quote. We, we, we think about it theoretically. We'll write Bible studies about this stuff. But so often we don't actually just make war on sin. we, We hear the words of God say, all authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And we don't. We'll talk about how evangelism can be a good thing. We'll write treatises about it. I'll write a great little course about it. I'll, dr- I'll bring you in on a Saturday morning so we can, I can tell you a, a nice little course about it. But we don't actually go and make disciples of all nations. Again, that's not what the kind of faith that we see we're at work here in Nehemiah 3. You see, biblical faith works. And I mean that in both senses of the word. I don't mean just that, you know, we do work because of biblical faith. I also mean that we, we trust in God and what God will do, and he will follow through. I mean, spoiler alert for the rest of Nehemiah, they get the wall done. They get the wall done in record time because of the work of God. Biblical faith actually works. Not just because we do stuff and not just because God's working, but because all of it together works. We become part of what God is calling us to do and it works. But also, and this is something I just wanted, I just wanted to show you a few other things that you'll see in the verses here. Biblical faith stoops. I know that sounds weird because, you know, stooping is a bad thing in our thinking. But just just hear me out here. This is verse 12. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. This is the governor. Like, he governs half the district of Jerusalem. Repaired. He and his daughters. So get the the image in your head. Imagine uh, a high-level politician. Imagine Justin Trudeau with his daughters repairing, taking out a hammer and swinging it to make the walls better. In fact, put in your head the the, the prissiest kind of individual you could, you know, a, 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 a spoiled little rich kid girl. She's swinging the hammer too to get this wall rebuilt. It's not beneath her. She goes ahead and does it. Again, verse 14. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, I apologize for the pronunciation of the words for, these, for this, ruler of the, death, the district of Beth Hakarem, repaired, get this, the dung gate. If, you, if you're a ruler of a district, if you're, you know, like a high-level Ruler, dude, you're the guy that everybody looks up to. What are the chances you repair the dung gate? Like, 
at the very least, the priest's got to repair the sheep gate. He's repairing the dung gate. And yet, it's just reported here. And it's not like he says, you know, and he, repa- he repaired the dung gate and did awesome things and, you know, had, uh, uh, had an amazing procession through the city to repair. No, he, he set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. It's basic stuff. He stoops to do what needs to be done. Let, I, I told you those things that need to be done here at the church. It always amazes me, the people that we tend to get this. We have a, a group of people called the trustees, and they you know, fix stuff. They make sure that the power bar can fit in the plugs at the back of the room. I know that one because I, I watched them try to fix it after we were trying to get it taped up because I'm not very good at that kind of electrical stuff. But let's just think about who these people are. You know, when they're in their lives, they, they're, they're like, you know, um, they run departments at, at colleges, they do negotiations for major fish producing organizations, they do all kinds of legal stuff, they do all kind, uh, they run businesses, they uh, do all kinds of amazing things, and yet, because God has called them to do something, they come to church on Tuesday, Wednesday, and make sure that the electrical sockets work properly. That kind of amazes me. And so often, I like to believe, you know, like we we talk about all the things that God can do through us. So often we want to talk about the amazing things God can do through us. You know, God can save the entire city of St. John's through my preaching. And he could. God can use absolutely anything to do anything. He could use my bleedings to save the city of St. John's. But he can also use my ability to, I don't know, give somebody a ride to church to save people. He can use my willingness to just have coffee with someone who feels lonely to do amazing things for his kingdom. And we'll get to it later. And it will be very, very important and glorious even though it's the most basic of things. But unfortunately, not everybody recognizes this. And this is kind of the, more of the tragedy. Nehemiah 3.5, And next to them the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. And that's not talking about Nehemiah. They would not stoop to serve their Lord meaning God. And though you get the kind of difference here, you see the Tekoites repairing and the, uh, the noble, their nobles not willing to stoop to serve the Lord, but the Tekoites don't go out of their way to say, oh, those nobles are terrible and not, you know, they should do more work. Just skip down to verse 27. After him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. Again, seeing what other people were doing, seeing what other people failed to do, seeing that their nobles failed to serve their Lord. The Tekoites don't just simply say, oh, well, you know, those, those guys are terrible. They should fix this. No, they stoop and serve even their rebellious nobles and do even more work to make sure all the work gets done. 
That's what biblical faith looks like. Biblical faith does what needs to be done. If we have a biblical faith in what God is doing among us and through us, what God has already done for us, we do what needs to be done. When the Lord says, I will uh, to love your neighbor as yourself, we don't just turn that into a platitude. We don't just say, be warmed and be filled and then go your separate ways. We work to help fill. We work to help strengthen. If somebody is lonely and we, and we know that they're lonely, we go out of our way to make sure they're not lonely. We do what needs to be done. That's what biblical faith looks like because it's powered by a love for God and a trust that he can use the things we do for greatness, no matter how menial we think it is. Friends, do you realize that everything we do in the name of Christ is important? Everything? When you talk to your neighbors or your coworkers on Monday morning when you're tired and you need coffee and you're angry, <laughs> that's a big moment. You have an opportunity right now to strike an amazing blow for the kingdom by just being loving to someone when they don't deserve it. What a perfect sign of grace you can do. And it's not amazing, it's not awesome in the sense of what the world would say. It's not something that we're going to write novels about. We're not going to bring you up on Sunday and you know, put you in front of the congregation and say, uh, so tell us about how you didn't kill that person who said something stupid to you on Monday. But it is important because it, biblical faith does what needs to be done. Nehemiah 3.8. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hananiah. Notice what these guys are. Goldsmiths. Now, goldsmiths work with gold. Walls, generally speaking, are not made of gold. This isn't their job. This is way outside their ambit of things to do. They smith gold. They repaired Next to, the, next to him, even better, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. I mean, he has no technical skills whatsoever in masonry. Yet because it needs to be done and nobody else is going to do it, the perfumer says, I'm going to bow down, I'm going to stoop to what God calls me to do, and I'm going to do what needs to be done. I'm going to help repair and they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Let's go further. Verse 17. After him, the Levites repaired. Now, Levites are the genetic priests of God. In order for the, in order for some, the temple to operate properly, you need to have Levites. These guys have been set aside as for God from the beginning, from the, well, from the beginning of time possibly, but at least from the time, of is, uh, the time of early Israel. We've got a situation where they are set aside in Chronicles and Deuteronomy as the people who are priests. And yet, 
they don't just do the priestly stuff. They bow, they stoop, they do what needs to be done. In fact, even the ruler of half the district of Kala repaired for, the, for, repaired for his district. They all stoop to do what needs to be done. And most importantly, and this is kind of what we really need to remember here when it comes to the biblical faith and the works that come from a biblical faith. The works of a biblical faith are remembered. Allow me to just remind you of one thing that's blindingly obvious here, and probably so blindingly obvious that you may miss it. Because it's something that I missed for the longest time while I was reading the Word. There is a Nehemiah chapter 3. Do you realize when Nehemiah chapter 3 was probably written or the time it talks about? We're talking about about 480 BC. We're talking about 2400 years ago, at least. These people have been in the graves for 24 centuries. And I know what they repaired. I know who repaired the dung gate. I can tell you their name. I know what God did through them. I can tell you that. Because their actions, their actions to do the most menial things you can imagine, resounded throughout history. And now, why would God record that? Why does God have chapters like this in the Bible? And they're all, all throughout the Bible. Chapters that report minor, what we would think of as minor things that God used for great things. Why does God report this? I mean, he doesn't report it every single person. It would be a very long book if he did. You see, God later is going to say something about how he remembers us. You know, as a mother, would a mother forget her baby or a woman the child within her womb? Yet even if these forget, I will not forget my own. Friends, I can be a pretty credulous person sometimes. I can be pretty naive. Yet I am not naive enough to believe that the God who recorded what happened at the dung gate in Jerusalem, in 500 BC, will forget anything that is done for his name now. Friends, do you think God has forgotten you? I, I, I can tell you, pointedly, he hasn't. I don't need to go and have a big theological discussion about this. It says it directly. Friends, do you think God has forgotten that you got up early this morning to get to church this morning so that you could fellowship with other believers? Do you think God doesn't care about the fact that you've taken your children to church this morning? Do you think, do you think he's forgotten that? No. In fact, he has remembered 
everything you have done for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. He remembers it all. For those of you who are uh, of the premillennial camp, you probably are very familiar with this passage. It's from Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 13. I, it's new to me because I'm a millennial and I don't usually read the, the book of Revelation as often as I should. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by, by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Friends, everything we do resounds through history. Everything. It's one of the tragic things that we, don't, we tend to forget about as being Christians. We can be very flippant about the situation we're in. Friends, we dance on the precipice of eternity. We always do. The tragic thing that we have in our lives isn't that we someday we won't do massive, amazing things uh, for the, throughout history. The tragic thing is that we don't recognize that everything we do actually does leave a legacy, whether for good or for ill. God remembers it all. I mean, what we choose to do now whether we choose to live in light of what God has done for us now will resound throughout history. Throughout history. I, I mean, I'm looking at some of the girls here in the front. Whoa, they're really young. Yet if God tarries, you guys will someday be mothers and grandmothers, great-grandmothers. And honestly, the way you choose to live now will alter the way that looks later. What you do in faith is important. None of it is forgotten. None of it. Friends, you have the opportunity to live for something greater. We always have had this opportunity. God is giving it to us every moment of every day. The question we have to answer is whether we're going to live in light of what Christ has done for us and act in faith, or if we're just going to pretend that none of this is important and leave it aside. Are we going to live as people who are flippant and don't notice the things that God has done? Or are we going to live as people who know what God has done? We know what God is doing and we know what God will do. And then live in trust of that. In the end, are we going to live a biblical faith? Are we going to be changed by what God has told us he's doing? Or are we going to be living for things that don't matter? that aren't going to last beyond a day? Are we going to be remembered throughout the annals of history in heaven for the glory of God because 
praise God, God used this little opportunity to change the world that we live in. Pastor Steve talked about how he went to Ottawa and he saw how the uh, parliament buildings were built based on biblical principles where you see the, the biblical passages written on the walls. Do you think God is done with Canada yet? I don't. Because we can see what God has done in the past. God at some point in our history so moved our forebears to build the parliament buildings in the way they did. God has used people here in Newfoundland to make people alive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are names like Coughlin and Spencer and names like Grenfell who lived for the gospel, did amazing things for the gospel here and changed things. And there's a thousand, thousand people who we will probably never remember here, but who have built the kind of faith that we can have here so that we can meet together and love God. People who chose our motto. What, do, you know what the, do you know what the motto of Newfoundland is, by the way? Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God. That has been our past. God has done that. More importantly, God has, has already shown us what he, he will do. This is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Always interesting to me. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Friends, we don't just need to look to history. We don't need to just look to the things that God has done in history. We can also look at what God has promised us now. When we act to make disciples of all nations, we act in the power of him who has all authority. The one who has promised he will be with us to the end of the age. Do you really think that could be wasted? Do you think he will allow it to be wasted? I don't. God remembers these things. And he has already called us. He has already empowered us. The question is, are we going to live like this? And I have to ask these questions because these are important. Because I know by the fact that we don't actually always live like this, that so often we lack the kind of biblical faith that we're talking about. We either lack our love for God, a desire to see his will done, or we lack the trust in God to believe that he will work all things together for the good of those who love and serve him and are called according to his purposes. We lack one of those two because if we didn't, we'd act. And I don't, and, and, and hear me here, I don't want us all to have 
to screw up our abilities and imagine that, the, that we can just go ahead and do stuff unless we're actually going to be doing it in faith. If you lack the faith today, friends, don't, don't just try to screw up your own internal abilities. Deal with the cancer that's the real problem. Do you lack love for God? Do you have trouble trusting God? It's the same thing I said last week. If you lack these things, ask God to open your eyes today. Friends, we can love him because he is objectively lovely. We can be unified to him because objectively in history, he has acted in love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, just think on that. Think deeply on that. Spend time trying to open your eyes to that. Pray with, pray with your friends and with other people that God would open your eyes to this by his spirit. He'd take scales from your eyes so that you'd see how lovely he is and that you could love him. Ask him to open your eyes. Do you have trouble trusting God? Do you have trouble under, uh, believing that he will follow through on the things that he has promised? Friends, the, the answer is the same. Just look to him. Open the word. Read the passages where God over and over and over again shows himself faithful. Even when we're not. Even when we live in sin, he is faithful everywhere. Open your word and look. Do you, do you have trouble seeing that and feeling that in the depth of your being? Do you, do you feel you have sin blocking your vision to that? Pray. Pray that he would open your eyes. And if you can't even pray, which happens to some people, come talk to me. Talk to almost any believer in the room. But at least me or the, or the other elders will do it. It would be our privilege to pray with you that, to have God open your eyes. So please, don't let, that, don't let this slide. Friends, God has already called us. God has already promised that his work will be fruitful. He has promised that nothing we do for his sake will be forgotten. It'll be spoken about and pray to the praise of his glory for eternity. Friends, don't be, don't be flippant. Don't live for things that don't matter. The things that won't pass beyond today. And I'm not saying that you need to do uh, flashy things. We need to do things in faith. Friends, the flashiest things we do for the sake of our own glory will pass away. The merest thing, the smallest thing that we do for the sake of God's glory will last forever. So Lord, let's, Lord God, open our eyes. Help us to see you. Help us to love you. Help us to desire to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as we know it already is in heaven.
Lord God, don't, make us, don't let us stay proud. Don't let us say to other people, I am too good for this. I am better than being able to do these small menial tasks for the Lord. There are no menial tasks for you. Lord God, please open our eyes, open our hearts, help us to see so that in the end, we can live for you, for the praise of your glory, that we might have the kind of faith, the biblical faith that your people in Jerusalem had, that the disciples had, that our forebears of the faith here in Newfoundland and Canada had. Lord God, may we have it too. In Jesus' name, amen.